Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hey, this is Nick from Pinara. You're listening to 3CR. Please support community radio and your local music scene. Subscribe now. Give money back to the people that give music to you. Asia Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents. This Saturday, the 16th of October, you're listening to Community Radio 3CR. I'm Giselle Hanna. Hi, and I will be taking you through to 9.30 this morning in Asia Pacific Currencies, brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on the web or the w's.aawl.org.au. Coming up on today's program, in the second part, I'm going to play some of the um, introductory uh, keynote addresses delivered by our panellists at the Palestine meeting that we talked about in recent weeks. So that's uh, coming up shortly. But of course, first up, we're going to go to news from around the region. I'm just going to go to a community announcement and then we'll have the news. Three CR Community Radio, eight five five AM. We're going to start the news in Lebanon where ongoing crisis leads to killings on Thursday. In another sign of the ongoing social tensions in Lebanon, six people were killed and scores injured when unidentified gunmen shot at a demonstration outside the courts where the Beirut port explosion of over a year ago is being investigated. The demonstration was against the judge who is leading the investigation. As with almost everything else in Lebanon, this case has also become entwined with the sectarian political divisions in Lebanon. As yet, no charges have been laid for this disaster. Underscoring the depth of the crisis, last weekend the two main electricity power plants in Lebanon, the Deir Ahmad and Zahrani plants, which were already running at reduced levels, shut down as they had run out of fuel. This plunged vast areas of Lebanon in total darkness. Fortunately, the government was able to supply some emergency fuel so that, so that they could restart a few days later. Nevertheless, their situation is symptomatic of the crisis in Lebanon, where increasing food prices and widespread unemployment have now seen uh, malnutrition rates climb steadily upwards, especially among refugee communities. In Thailand last week, 12 anti-government activists were charged with violation of the emergency decree for participating in a protest on September 5 at the Asoki intersection in central Bangkok. One of the people charged was 
Sitanun Satsaksit, the sister of missing activist Wanchalun Satsaksit, who went missing while in Cambodia in June of last year. Sitanun was being has been a prominent human rights activist campaigning for the introduction of legislation for the prevention and suppression of torture and enforced disappearance. Sitanun has accused the government of not doing anything to find her brother and instead it has been harassing activists like her. Since the state of emergency was declared in March 2020, close to 1,200 anti-government activists are facing charges of violating the emergency decree for attending protests. As well, in late August of this year, a leaked government document showed that it had over 100 anti-government activists on a watch list for its security services. In India, delivery drivers are facing very harsh conditions. The online food delivery sector in India has expanded enormously in the last few years and is now estimated to be a US $10 billion a year market, employing millions of workers. As elsewhere, it is dominated by a few major players like Zomato and Swiggy and uses the same subcontracting casual employment pattern found in other countries. While both companies say that they have bonuses and incentivization for drivers, the reality for workers is that they face constant pressure to deliver on time, deliver more orders per day and go further for each delivery. This means that in an effort to make the few dollars a day to survive, the riders not only have to work in any weather, break road rules, but may also end up working up to 18-hour days. And in Vietnam, while during the first year of the COVID-19 pandemic, Vietnam was seen as one of the most successful countries in the world in keeping the virus at bay, the last few months have seen authorities struggle to contain widespread outbreaks of infections. The Southern Industrial Belt in and around Ho Chi Minh City, where millions of workers reside and work, was under lockdown until very recently in an effort to contain the spread of COVID-19. These measures, though, had a negative economic effect of disrupting supply chains with many workers becoming unemployed and left with little money. With the lifting of restrictions in the last couple of weeks, there's been an exodus of hundreds of thousands of workers heading for their home provinces. This mass movement has had authorities scrambling to set up new testing and tracing centres in an effort to stop the virus being carried by these workers to new regions in Vietnam. Paradoxically, some factories in the industrial belt are now starting to complain of a workers' shortage, especially in, a view, in view of the upcoming Christmas season. And our last story is from Turkey. This week's court ruling to keep 64-year-old activist Osman Kavala in detention till the next court hearing, which is yet to be confirmed, is another sign of President Erdogan's intention to keep the pressure on any opposition till the national election of 2023. Osman has been in detention since 2017. He was originally charged with trying to violently overthrow the government for taking part in the Gezi Park protests in 2013, but over the years has had further charges brought against him, including espionage and being a member of a terror group. Osman's case has now been merged with another mass trial featuring 51 other defendants, all linked via multiple anti-government plots that allegedly have occurred over the last decade. 
Over the last decade, hundreds of thousands of people have either been fired from their jobs and or arrested, while the main opposition, the HDP, has seen most of its elected representatives arrested on spurious national security grounds. That is the news from around the region. I'm going to go to some community announcements and then our feature story for the morning. Get your copy of 3CR's magnificent book. It's a stunning history of the people, programs and issues at the station since 1976. On sale now for the amazing price of just $20. Pick one up at the station or jump online and place your order. Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR. On sale now for $20. Last Saturday, the 9th of October, Australia Asia Workerlings hosted an international meeting on how to win in Palestine. We had a number of panellists, and I'm going to bring you three of them this morning. The first one here is Joe Daher, who you'll be familiar with, a socialist uh, from Syria based in the UK. The second speaker here is um, Frida Afari, and the final speaker is Boudour Hassan. Hello, everyone. Hello, comrades. Thank you for inviting me uh, today for this uh, great conference, and uh, thank you for the other panelists. It's an honor to be here. I think I have um, the main points when we come to to about how to win about Palestine have three main points to put forward, I think, is first of all, and Mansour mentioned it, is about the nature of Israel, Israel as a settler colonial state, but maybe in the discussion we can go a bit deeper into to what nature, because it's different from South Africa. It's closer to the US or Australia, where you are, as a uh, cleansing all of the indigenous uh, population. Uh, plus, it is also an apartheid state. It has been acknowledged by now international uh, human rights organizations since the beginning of the year, even uh, Israeli human, uh, human rights organization. In the same sense, we have to understand the place of Israel in the region as a gendarme or police for the Western imperialist state. And this, since '67. So every time there was there has been you know progressive movements trying or private progressive parties uh, trying to to move forward in the region Israel has played a key role in trying to undermine these kind of movements and this has not been only uh, in the Middle East and North Africa we know that Israel has a large um, security um, uh, networks companies going throughout the world trying to uh, repress also progressive movements in other parts of the world, and we have many numerous examples, such as uh, such as Colombia, for example, etc. In this perspective, taking into account that Israel is a secular colonial state, apartheid state, um, and how do we envision the future struggle? We have to acknowledge as well that the Israeli working class, which we would think is a nat- natural strategic ally in undermining the power of the the ruling class in Israel, is not. And this is not only about reason regarding uh, moralistic or uh, reasons, is that basically uh, they benefit materially from the Israeli states, um, which provides Israeli workers with homes stolen from Palestinians, as well as inflated standard of living. The Israeli ruling class and state does integrate the Israeli working class as a collaborator in a common project of settler colonialism. And if you look at working class institutions such as the Istadrut, have played a key role in the ethnic cleansing of Palestine, which is the key uh, union uh, in, uh, in, uh, in Israel. 
Labor Zionist leaders established the Istrajut in 1920 as an exclusively Jewish union and used to it to spare her the displacement of Palestinian workers. And at the same time, because it's different as South Africa as well, we have to acknowledge at the same time the weakness uh, of the, the Palestinian labor force within Israel to close down Israeli economy. As Mansour said, there was a great movement uh, uh, to in the 18th of May, a uh, massive strike. But we have to be clear about this, that the Palestinian workers are not at the central role, they don't have a central role in the Israeli economy and have been replaced by most of the time by the Jewish uh, workers. So as a result, Palestinian workers do not have the same means to shut down the Israeli economy through strikes like the black workers did in South Africa. And again, this does not mean that Palestinian resistance is not important, but it's how we think about our strategy. And this is why I think we have to put back, and as Mansour said, uh, in a global context, but especially in a regional context. Since the beginning, especially in 67, with the, the rise of the various Palestinian political parties, they have been uh, spearheaded first by, by Fatah, but mistaken alliances with authoritarian regimes. And this goes also as well from Hamas to to Fatah uh, today, to the Palestinian Authority, but also including some leftist parties like the Progressive Front or the Democracy Front. And I think this is a mistake because re authoritarian regimes in the region have always betrayed the Palestinian liberation movement and not only betrayed, repressed it. In Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, Egypt today, uh, the, the blocus in Egypt is not possible without Egyptian participation. And we can see the normalization of Israel with other Arab states moving forward. So we have to be clear that any kind of alliance with these kind of regimes is going backwards. Similarly, the Oslo peace agreement was not a pass forward. It was a way to, to give to the PA basically to, to manage Palestinians and manage repressively. And we've seen increasingly repressive actions from the Palestinian Authority. And this is why I think we must link Palestinian revolution with the revolutionary processes of the region. This is the only way forward and to expect a changing um, in, within Israel is through a changing of equilibrium of forces and, and pressuring uh, Israeli working class to change and Israel to change its perspective about the future. So linking these two. And to end uh, on my conclusion, it's to say, obviously, this means that our destinies are linked regionally, the progressive forces, the working classes of the Middle East, and Palestine and more globally, but also when we're outside the key issues about supporting BDS, which is a mean boycott, disinvestment, sanction um, campaign, which is a key mean of education about the history of Palestine, but also of action to say Israel is not a normal state. We should not accept and acknowledge Israel, which is an apartheid, colonial and racist state. Thank you very much. Our next speaker is Frida. Take it away. Thank you. Uh, to the Australia Worker Links for organizing this important uh, event. And I'm, it's a pleasure and an honor to be here. This is a critical moment in the Middle East and the world. The wave of popular uprisings that arose in the Middle East and North Africa region in 2019 in Sudan, Algeria, Iraq, Lebanon, Iran, have been under assault by the states, by COVID-19, and by their own internal contradictions. The wave of Palestinian popular protests that arose in May of this year in opposition to Israeli occupation is also under assault both by Israel and by the Palestinian Authority. Hamas, which controls Gaza, promotes its own reactionary and misogynist rule. At the same time, 
U.S. imperialism, which has now left Afghanistan, has made a deal with the racist and misogynist Taliban, which has in effect handed over power to them. The U.S. is leaving the region in order to focus its forces in the Pacific for a more destructive imperialist war with China. Israel, Saudi Arabia, other Arab states, and Turkey have been coming together with the help of the U.S., Chinese, and Russian imperialism, and are strengthening their own authoritarian rule against the masses of each country in the region. Russia, Iran, and Turkey continue to occupy Syria and maintain the brutal Assad regime as these states repress and kill democratic opposition within their own respective countries. As an Iranian socialist feminist who is in solidarity with the Palestinian struggle for self-determination against Israeli occupation, I think the only way for Palestinians to win is to develop bonds of solidarity with regional and global struggles based on opposition to capitalism, patriarchy, racism, ethnic and religious discrimination. We need to see the latest Israeli air raids on Gaza and the Jewish mob attacks on Palestinians and mixed neighborhoods inside Israel as part of the global growth and intensification of racialized authoritarian capitalism and mass incarceration. Gaza with its population of 1.9 million has been recognized as the world's largest open air prison by the Norwegian Refugee Council. The fact that Gaza is a prison of almost 2 million Palestinians puts it third in rank only to the U.S. prison industrial complex of uh, 2.1 million incarcerated or jailed, and the Chinese mass incarceration system, which includes 1 million Uyghur Muslims in Xinjiang province and another official 1.7 million in the rest of China. Within the Middle East itself, Gaza's status as an open-air prison of 1.9 million puts it in the top rank to be followed by prisons in Turkey, Iran, Syria, Egypt, and Saudi Arabia. All of these prisons, physical as well as ritual and ideological, are sites of ethnic and racial discrimination as well as gender and sexual violence promoted by capitalist militarism and in some cases involving slave labor. In this context, the issue of creating bonds of solidarity between women prisoners in Palestine and the rest of the region and the world is extremely important. Palestinian socialist feminist prisoner Khaleda Jarrah had written the following in an open letter from an Israeli prison earlier this year. She said, although physically we are held captive behind fences and bars, our souls remain free and are soaring in the skies of Palestine and the world. Regardless of the severity of the Israeli occupation practices and imposed punitive measures, our free voice will continue to speak out on behalf of our people. We work to establish and consolidate human values and strive to obtain social and economic liberation that bind the free people of the world together. This is the end of the quote from in that spirit, I am wondering if it's possible to ask Palestinian women political prisoners to write open letters to express their solidarity with women political prisoners in Iran, Syria, Turkey, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and Afghan women, as well as Black and Latino women prisoners in the US, 
Uyghur women in China's Xinjiang prisons, and Myanmar's Rohingya, Rohingya women in refugee camps in Bangladesh. Such an expression of solidarity can have a powerful impact on women prisoners and struggles in all of these countries, and can also deepen the Palestinian struggle for liberation. This need for deepening the content of the Palestinian struggle was also manifested in Palestinian women's protests against femicide and for a free homeland in the fall of 2019. The protesters' demands included immediate action against gender violence and the recognition of women's rights, women's right for autonomy as central to Palestinian self-determination. Protests clashed and faced repression by the police force in Jerusalem. They founded the Talat movement against gender and sexual violence. It is by building on these issues and struggles in the context of promoting real structural transformation that I think socialists in the region can deepen the emancipatory content of the struggles and hence move in the direction of women. Attention may have subsided. Jerusalem in particular and Palestine in general may no longer be in the headlines. But that doesn't mean that the effects of the uprising that erupted in April and May in Jerusalem and then expanded to the rest of Palestine to both sides of the Green Line have ended. In fact, since May, Israel has continued its uh, wave of arrests. Hundreds of Palestinians have been arrested since May. The vast majority of whom are working class prisoners uh, they are not qualified or are not defined as activists and as such they have received very little attention. One of the most important figures in the struggle for self-determination and in defense of the homes and the neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah, uh, who is Murad Atiyeh, has been detained by Israel since August. Israel charges him with terrorism. Why terrorism? Because he has been hosting uh, activists in his house, because he has been organizing protests, because he has been refusing to kneel to Israel's attempt to displace him and his family and the other seven families from uh, the neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah. Many of these arrests, or as I said, most of these arrests don't receive attention because those who are being arrested are not famous activists, they do not speak English, so most people don't hear of them. But that doesn't mean that the protest movement has ended. Yes, it has subsided, but its effects continue to linger, either through the form of mass arrests, as I said, or through the newly found optimism and hope that this movement has sparked in people. There was a sense of reclaiming our dignity, of reclaiming our unity, that the uprising of May has sparked in Jerusalemites and, Jerusalemite and in Palestinians. Many people told me that this is the first time that for in a long time that I feel proud of being Palestinian. And pride here is not a shallow, empty, nationalist sense of pride. It's rather feeling that, yes, the city belongs to me. Yes, I matter. Yes, Israel can't uh, break me, can't break my, my spirit, can't take over my city without me being able to do anything in return. 
and the uh, escape and the heroic resistance and escape of Palestinian of six Palestinian prisoners from the uh, Gilboa prison has only contributed to increasing this sense of pride. Even though, though all of these six prisoners were eventually rearrested, the very fact that they managed to flee the prison, they managed to escape, has done something incredible to the Palestinian psyche, to the national and general Palestinian feeling in the street. It also has sparked a newly born uh, interest in the prisoner cause all around the world. In Palestine, of course, this interest never ended because prisoners always represent a very important uh, principle and factor in the Palestinian society. But it at least reminded people that these prisoners, many, some of whom have been imprisoned by Israel for more than 30 years, many of whom have been imprisoned by Israel before some of us have been even born, that these prisoners are not just there sitting, they're trying, they're thinking, they're trying to uh, go out, they're trying to tell the people that, well, yes, we still exist and our liberation and our freedom should not just be dismissed, should be treated as a national uh, priority. So all, all of these events, but especially these two events, the protest movement in May and the uh, heroic resistance act of the prisoners, which manifested itself in escaping the maximum security of prison of Gilboa, demonstrate the importance of both supporting Palestinian political prisoners on the one hand and supporting all of the Palestinian people resisting against Israel forcible transfer and mass displacement. Locally, of course, many uh, communities have been formed uh, horizontally and without much probably uh, initial organization, they were the result of the organization organizing that started from the protests, and they're still trying to work. It's not easy because of Israel's repression, but they're try still trying to rekindle the movement that started in May to keep it going, to insist on the importance of taking advantage and using the momentum of that movement to work slowly but perhaps silently in order to build awareness, to build this national consciousness and to keep Palestine on the agenda and to resist any future Israeli attempt at uh, resuming its plans to um, expel the people from Sheikh Jarrah or from Silwan. Internationally, of course, the support that we received from workers uh, in, in May was crucial. Uh, although some probably didn't even hear of it before, the fact that it was circulated, that people finally heard that they're not alone was very important for them to know that we're not alone, that we're being supported, that there are people in the UK, in uh, South Africa, in Italy, uh, in Latin America also, who hear of our plight and who are not just sitting there uh, idly by, but are, are supporting our cause effectively and doing something effective and concrete to support our cause. Uh, obviously, the support for the Palestinian bulk divestment and sanctions movement against Israel in all of its form, including cultural and academic boycott, is also one of the ways in which we believe it's very important to support the Palestinian cause. And finally, to keep talking about Palestine, not only in moments
moments where there is something really difficult happening, not only in moments when there is bloodshed and when there are Israeli massacres, but also in moments where there is seem when it seems that the situation is quote unquote back to normal. It's not normal. What Israel is doing daily on a daily basis to us, to the Palestinian people, should not be normalized, should not be treated as routine. It's abnormal what Israel is doing and it's very important to refuse to normalize it by writing about it, by speaking about it and refusing to normalize it, this situation to accept it as a fact taken for granted is also one form of resisting this occupation. That last speaker there was Budur Hassan, before her Frida Afari and before her Joda had all guests at AAWL's uh, meeting, How Do We Win in Palestine? Well, that's the end of Asia Pacific Currents for another Saturday morning. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, stay tuned for 3CR. Coming up next is Palestine Remembered, but APC will be back next Saturday from 9 o'clock with more news and current affairs from the Asia Pacific region.